welcome. I'm Jean Parker, and you're listening to Discovering How, a podcast of the Ethical Business Building the Future organization. We're a global learning community using our workplaces to build a better future. Many aspects of how we live our lives are determined by our experiences in the formative years. In this episode, we're exploring how to introduce new forms of education that will create leaders able to shape a better future. Later in the program, we'll hear the first-hand experience of Badi Shams, who founded a school in India based on high ethical principles. But first, Gordon Naylor is the director of the Nancy Campbell Academy in Stratford, Ontario, Canada. He thinks deeply about what kind of education it takes to create tomorrow's change agents and transformational leaders. I think we have to do a lot of rethinking of education and determine whether or not the way we're educating is actually creating the results that we want to see. Um, And I think one of the things that I see is that uh, we're operating in a mode that really is not conducive to the kinds of changes that we're trying to see. And largely because I think that the whole issue of moral education, moral and ethical education, has been kind of stripped out of curriculum. And so people are focusing, or the education system is largely focused on academic education. And of course, that would never be sufficient. Uh, And when I say moral and um, ethical education, I'm really talking about what inspires the soul to, you know, reach for something more, something greater, something different, uh, something beautiful. When we when we combine uh, moral education and academic education together, uh, and and infuse it with this overall sense of working for the common good and the development of mankind, then I think that becomes much more exciting without both of those things being developed at the same time, then we have an imbalance. And if we want to create leaders that are going to change the world, then certainly we have to cultivate uh, this faculty of the development of idealism. How do you define moral education, though? Because that's quite a subjective term. Yeah, I think that's often the problem. And I think that's also why Um, education systems are afraid to approach the subject of moral or ethical education because, of course, the first question is, whose morals Um, and based on what? The way that we define it at Nancy Campbell Academy is to say that, you know, with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, there is a set of moral standards and world standards uh, for world citizenship that are pretty clearly Uh, articulated and certainly are, uh, you know, are the standards that in a sense the whole world is signed on to. What's missing in education today that is preventing that from happening? Well, there's a few problems that are pretty serious. Number one is Nancy Campbell is based on a micro school system. Uh, It's not very clear why we insist on gathering 500 to 1,000 to 2,000 to 3,000 youth together in one place to educate them. When we ourselves would choose not to gather ourselves in that direction. So to me, the size of these schools are massive and that causes a disconnection or indifference to to take place Mm. because there's just too many people that we're dealing with. 
at once. So I, I also operate um, a system of treatment homes for abused youth and children. And if I look at what the problems are, you can imagine that in a school of a thousand people, probably you have about, I would say, at least a hundred youth that have pretty serious problems and maybe even uh, some more that have, you know, have even greater complications, at least 10%. And probably of that, a smaller percent that would be considered more dangerous or more unstable. And so then you have a certain number of teachers in these environments that are not connected as well as they'd like to be even, uh, but it's just the physical plant of the thing alone. And now there's a movement for finance or whatever other reason to have schools be even larger and larger when there's no pedagogical reason why they should have these massive schools um, where youth that might be struggling with things are not getting the support that they need. And the ones that maybe aren't struggling are having to contend in environments that are complicated and really kind of out of control environments. Add to that that some of these classrooms are with 30 students in them. At our school, we don't ever have more than 20 in any one class. And that fact alone means that the types of relationships that can happen in the classroom are profoundly different. Um, they're far more interactive, far more based on being able to collaborate together, build capacity together in creative groups that are diverse. And the teacher can manage that in such a good way to inspire the students to want to do better. I'd like you to say more about that. If there is an ongoing dialogue between uh, teachers and mentors and students about how, what they're aspiring to, what their potential is, how to construct opportunities for them to be in service, which inspires their learning, then it becomes really difficult to um, have them be connected. But as soon as you create the conditions where better uh, opportunities for more uh, close relationships that are more intensive and discussion-oriented start to release human potential at a much greater level. What other things are problematic in education today that are creating students who will not be good leaders? Well, you know, I actually started um, Nancy Campbell as a result of my eldest daughter. I have five children. My eldest daughter was in grade nine and she was a bright student she was gifted she was chosen for leadership things etc but at the end of grade nine she told me that she wanted to quit school she said this because her social environment to her was not appropriate and not uh, what she was hoping for and she said essentially in the social times most mostly people are talking about sex drugs alcohol and backbiting about each other and i can't do this for four years she said she said, and the students um, seem to be, you know, mostly fooling around and don't want to, don't seem to want to learn, and the teachers don't seem to want to teach. And I don't know who's responsible for that. And what I see right now in education is we've disconnected education from its meaning and its purpose. Um, and its meaning and purpose, of course, should be much greater than just having a job or just, uh, you know, getting the things that we want. It has to be higher than that. It has to be more. Uh, idealistic than that. What are other trends in education around the world that you see as destructive? And then I want to talk about the constructive trends. I once saw that uh, saw an article that talked about how in 
in every country of the world, we have classrooms where the teacher's at the front and there's rows of desks. And yet it doesn't seem that anybody really knows why that happened or why it happens everywhere. Um, but I think everywhere now, there's thoughtful investigation about how that mere, even physical structure creates a dynamic that is quite different than what's needed. And I think this idea is we keep trying to uh, set up education in a way as though knowledge has already been generated and we'll simply give it to you. And once you have it, then you'll be in a good stead. When in actual fact, that's not the way uh, leadership works. It's not the way the world works. The art of judgment has to be developed. And I would say that the goal of education has to be the creation of wisdom uh, in students, which of course would mean they can articulate their thoughts. They can uh, critically examine what is being said and what is known. And then really uh, think about the circumstances, read the social reality of where they are and generate next steps. And so we, we need to help them see that knowledge is continually being generated really through an action reflection kind of model where we take a few steps and we see whether or not it's producing the right result or the result that we're hoping for. And then we take a few more. When I started the school, I said to the teachers, the one thing we will not do is blame the students. And I said to them, you have to think about a school as a tumbler for gems. And when you put a stone in a tumbler, it has to be polished. But if the tumbler doesn't have what it takes inside of it to polish that stone, then it won't matter how long it spends in there. It's just not going to happen. So we have to think of what are the programs that we need to have so that any student uh, that enters this school is going to be polished, is going to develop the capacity to think, is going to move from where they are to a much higher level. So at the end, we're all proud that that individual, we feel we've launched on a journey and he's capable or she's capable of good judgment. We haven't created education the way it should be because true education should empower individuals to make their contribution in many varied and unique ways and enrich the whole. In the 1980s, Badi Shams founded the Martha Root School in Jaipur, India. After moving to Canada, he applied what he had learned from that experience to his work with kids in the mainstream Canadian school system. Here, with humor and candor, he tells us about his work in both India and Canada and what establishing a school taught him about learning. In India's uh, you know, education system, though there are lots of colleges and universities, but when it comes to elementary and you know, high school, it's really not the best quality unless you pay money and go to private schools. So public schools, you have no chance unless you have money. So I said, you know, I can provide uh, uh, something that uh, poor people can afford. And I made sure that we, uh, we have the school in a poorest uh, almost area of uh, Jaipur. And I was very young and to be honest, didn't know what I'm doing, but I went with it. I would start uh, school with a prayer. They had the national anthem, but I would provide some prayers so that they remember. And I had to educate the parents that they were very disciplinarian, that, uh, no, we don't hit the kids. And by the way, you're not <laughs> supposed to hit them either. One father actually was in the school ground and he hit the kid. And I almost lost it with him. And I said, you know, you may want to do whatever you do at home. I can't say not about that. 
but you don't hit my kids in the school. And he was shocked. He said, you know, but sir, this is uh, the best job, uh, you know, education. I said, not really. <laughs> you have missed the boat. This is the worst kind of a thing. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, some of the things were so basic, but at the same time necessary because of the, uh, the condition we were in and the, mm-hmm. it's a system of education was there. So no big deal now when you look at it. But at that time, in my mind, it was revolutionary <laughs> try to, you know, go back to certain things that are so essential to me. So what were the challenges to uh, starting an educational institution that, was, that had a very different philosophy than what was normally found? And the challenges were many, to be honest. So first, you know, I was young and my intentions were good, but it didn't translate in terms of wisdom and knowledge and experience. It was very challenging finding the place and then, you know, then the bureaucracy of just for starting school, you have to register an educational society. And unfortunately, every step of the way, you know, this is morally and spiritually challenging because bribery is quite common and, and, and then you have to deal with that. I got more educated than the kids in the school because I learned <laughs> so much. I think it's so important to have a vision. I was so lucky. I had no experience, no knowledge, nothing. But I had one vision in my mind. And I stuck with it. And that helped me. It's like almost having a lighthouse in a stormy ocean. But I think you have to stick with it and at least satisfy your soul that I did my part by keeping the vision intact and pure. You've spoken in the past about bringing life to education. Can you explain what that means? You know, behind every system, ideology, there's a spirit. And education system, to me, it becomes so mechanical. Um, uh, teachers, some exceptionally care, and I'm not saying that they're dull, but they're mostly, it was a profession. And I learned that through the students coming to me and say, oh, you know, buddy, that guy, that teacher, he just, you know, he teaches. The other one who really cares, they could distinguish between who is doing their job and who is really caring. So this is where, unfortunately, with the introduce of union and so many restrictions and the changing times that we are in, so many rules and regulations that basically took the fun out of education, if you ask me. Because, you know, it was supposed to be a wonderful feeling of educating, making these young people becoming amazing human beings who are going to contribute to the society and go on and building on this, uh, as we call it, uh, ever you know, advancing civilization, but end this all was like a bunch of students that are in jail or drug addicts and alcoholic. And, you know, just kind of question, did we somewhere along the way, we missed them? If you ask me, I said, yes, because if we would have cared for them enough to listen to them, to feel their pain, to understand where they come from, knowing that most of my kids, they didn't have the place to stay the night they didn't have breakfast. That's why I had a fridge and I had my microwaves. I had my breakfast. I had my bread and fruit and everything. I didn't care if they're late. I was happy they're there and I would feed them. And then when they were ready, I said, go to, go to your class now. So teachers passing judgment. Oh, you, you didn't come with a pen. You don't even care for education that much to bring a pen. You don't even have a pen. So I don't know. They forgot my students coming to me after graduation. 
And they said, Batty, 12 years of my life was stolen for the education system. Nobody taught me the value of money. Nobody taught me all basic life skills. I feel like I've, I've graduated. I know nothing. I have to learn everything from, from the scratch. So, you know, help them. If they don't know, be an instrument of uh, uh, helping them to become and learn more. You know, that's the spirit that is missing to me. Education is not about providing information. There was a wise man, you know, in the village or somewhere, they called him the master, and people would send their children to him, and he normally had his classes under the shade of a tree, and he would teach them humanity for a long time. What is to be a human being? What are the qualifications? What are the qualities? Once that was done, then he would go and say, okay, let's learn now about sciences and mathematics and stuff. I call it putting ants in their pants, in a <laughs> sense that makes them think makes them question. And then the moment they question, it is a eureka moment because you have to start the process. Thank you for joining us. We hope today's program has inspired you, our listeners, with ideas for discovering how we can all build a prosperous, just, and sustainable civilization. This has been Ethical Business Building the Future, Discovering How. Get more from this podcast by sharing your comments, an article, or a link to something that's important to you. You can contact us on our website, www.ebbf.org. I'm Jean Parker for EBBF, and I thank you for listening.